Good morning. It is so good to be with you, Covenant Fellowship Church. It is always an honor to be invited to come back home and to spend a Sunday morning with a church that I love as much as all of you. I don't know if you know this or not, but it was exactly four years ago this weekend uh, that Jared stood here and announced to all of you that we would be doing a church plant in Newark, Delaware. I cannot believe that four years have gone by since that moment. It's now been two and a half years since we actually launched Covenant Fellowship. Thank you for being a church planting church. Thank you for having faith and courage in Christ to send out new churches in order to see the advance of God's kingdom in new places. I want you to know that God is, is blessing your faith. He's blessing your work and your labors and your generosity. Uh, God has been abundantly good to us at Redeemer Fellowship. Now, there continues to be more ministry to do than we have time to do it, but, but God is faithful. He is guiding us. He's caring for us, even through a global pandemic. Uh, wonderfully, to the glory of God, we, we had eight baptisms last year. We welcomed in 50 new members to our church family. Just yesterday, we finished what I think is our sixth Explore New Members class. And folks, it's it's cool to think that everybody, except for one person in that new class, came to us since COVID began. Uh, and so the, the, to see the Lord working in that way and building his church, even during these difficult times, is extraordinary. And so I hope that you are aware that your faithfulness, your diligence, your generosity is being used by God, not just here in Glen Mills, but in other places like Newark, Delaware as well. We at Redeemer Fellowship thank God for you all the time. We would not be in existence apart from you and God's grace on your lives. We love you. All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis chapter 2 with me at this time. Genesis chapter 2 at Redeemer Fellowship. We are in the middle of an extended sermon series in the book of Genesis. Uh, and I wanted this morning to share a passage with you that has been particularly meaningful to me. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his, his word this morning. Friend, what does God want from you? What does God want from you? What is his calling on your life? If you are a Christian here this morning, I wonder how you would answer that question. If you are not a Christian here this morning, I wonder how you think most Christians in the church would answer that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? If you could summarize what God wants from his people, what it means to be a part of the Christian church, what would you say? Would you say that God wants us to be obedient in all areas of life and to be distinct from the world? Would you say that God wants us to worship him with joy every day of our lives? Would you say that God wants us to work hard to bring him glory? What would you say? 
Friends, I think that most of us in this room would respond to this question in one of the ways that I just listed. Those are all part of what it means to be a Christian. Each of them are certainly a part of God's design for our lives. But none of those things capture God's heart for you most fully. All of those things are a means through which we get closer to God's heart for us, but they are not God's heart for us. These verses in Genesis chapter 2 reveal something about God's heart for us that you and I might not tend to think. See, we tend to think that God is disappointed with us. That God has a low-grade frustration with us all the time because we're not working hard enough in life. That he's, he's just enduring us until we can finally get our act together. That he just wants more work from us all the time to just do better as Christians. But what we see in these first few verses of our Bibles is very different. These verses in Genesis chapter 2 paint a picture of God's heart that is very different than what we tend to think. What we see here is that God is not a God of endless toil, but rather that he's a God of of rest, and that his desire is that we as his people would rest in him as well. That's it. That's God's design for our lives. Now listen, how many of us would describe Christianity in that way? If somebody came up to you on campus, or a coworker approached you, or your neighbor came up to you and said, hey, I know that you're a Christian. I've been observing you, and I know that there's something different about the way that you live. Can you tell me what it means to be a Christian? How many of us would say, well, to be a Christian means that you find deep and satisfying rest in all of life? How many of us would answer in that way? I think too few of us would, but friends, what we're going to see this morning is that this is indeed God's heart for us. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the, the very short main idea of our message today. It's simply this, God wants you to rest. God wants you to rest. That's his clearest desire for our lives. He wants us to find rest. And, and we're now going to seek to prove that from Scripture by considering four points together this morning. Here they are. Point number one, the picture of rest. Point number two, the pattern of rest. Point number three, the person of rest. And point number four, the pursuit of rest. Those are our four points this morning. Let's begin with the first point, number one, the picture of rest. Look at verse two with me. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now, folks, many of us are very familiar with these first chapters of Genesis. And so we already know very well that after six days of creation, God rested. That part of the story is familiar to us. It's not a surprise as we read it this morning. But, but think about reading this for the very first time. Think about reading this without any prior knowledge of the Bible. If someone read this without any prior knowledge, don't you think that this moment of God resting would, would stand out to them as a little bit more surprising than it does to us? I mean, after reading chapter 1, this, this should stand out to us. Chapter 1 does not paint a picture of a God that needs to rest. This God just spoke the galaxies into existence with a few words. He didn't even lift a finger. He did it with such, such ease. But now he's resting? 
Does chapter 2 of Genesis mean that this God that we saw in chapter 1 is maybe not as strong as we first thought? Does this God get tired? Well, friends, this, this picture of God resting is supposed to stand out to us in this way. It's included here at this point in the story very early on for a very intentional purpose. See, we, we tend to think of rest as only coming after a lengthy and, and hard period of, of time and toil, only after we absolutely need to rest. Rest for us is a, a needed way to recover from labor. But what we see here is that rest for God is not the same as rest for you and for me. Rest for God is a state of being, not a necessary practice. In fact, that, that word rest in Genesis chapter 2, actually means to sit down. Even just to sit down on a throne after a job has been completed. And so this, this word rest, which we see multiple times in these verses, speaks to God intentionally ending and, and highlighting the conclusion of this creation project which he had begun. And then he sits down and he rules over it all. It's almost like this world that he created was, was a palace for God. And now he sits on his throne and he takes pleasure over the good creative work that he has done. But it's not that he's gotten tired and needed a break. No, Isaiah chapter 40 says, The Lord is the everlasting create God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He, he doesn't get tired, church. He doesn't need a nap this afternoon. But then why does he rest in verse 2? Here is why. Because God himself is a picture of perfect rest. Th these verses are here not because God needed rest, but because he is rest. The creation of this universe, the, the creation of humanity in his own image, that was not difficult for him. Those things did not drain him of energy. No, they flowed out of who he is. And he did not need to recharge after the job was done. God, taking time to intentionally rest, listen, it speaks less of his need and more of his abundance. Even as he continues to, to sustain the world by the word of his power, Scripture says, he's perfectly at peace. He's, he's not working hard. Friends, think about what this means for his heart, for you and for me. Isn't this picture of God resting at the very beginning of the story, isn't this so different than how so many people in this world would have written this story? I mean, this, how many of us have worked for a boss or for a manager who, who's a workaholic? He's always the first one into work, always the last one to leave. How, how many of us had a, have had a boss who, who sends emails at all time of day and night and who always act, act, expects people to, to respond quickly? So, so often bosses and managers work in that way because they are subtly trying to communicate to those that they lead that there's always more work to be done and that they want their employees to just work harder all the time. 
And when we have bosses and managers like that, when we have a boss who, who does not rest, well, then the culture of the company quickly becomes one that focuses on how much we can get done. It focuses on our performance, and everyone becomes anxious and troubled. Are we producing enough? Are we working hard enough? But that's not what we see with God. No, he rests. He rests at the very beginning of the story. He steps back and he sits down. Why? Because he wants to flavor the story of this world from the very first pages, not with toil, not with endless labor, not with painful work, but with rest, with a joyful celebration of who he is and what he has done and what he is for his people. And so listen, Listen, tired and condemned Christian. Listen, Christian who always feels like they are not doing enough for Jesus. Listen, brother or sister who has been in ministry for a long time without any break or refreshment for your soul. Listen to those who feel like no matter how hard they try, they cannot perform well enough for God. Listen, if God wanted us all to be doing more, if the focus was on what we did, do you think that he would start chapter two of the story by showing how the boss, the main character of the story, chose to rest? No, I don't think so. But that's exactly what he's done. Why? Because he is the perfect picture of rest, and because he wants the story that he is writing to be about his people, which he, whom he loves with an everlasting love, he wants it to be about them finding and enjoying that same kind of rest in him. He's the perfect picture of rest. And that brings us to our second point this morning, point number two, the, the pattern of rest. And so do we get this whole idea of God's rest being central to his heart for us, his people, only from these three verses, or do we, it's, do we see it seen elsewhere in Scripture? Well, yes, we see God's heart for it here, but no, it is not limited to these three verses. We see God's heart for us to rest in many other parts of Scripture as well. And so let's briefly consider the, the pattern and the theme of rest throughout our Bibles. There are five things that I want to briefly highlight for us this morning. First of all, we see that the pattern of rest is set right here in chapter 2, verse 3, when it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Those words blessed and holy are very important. We have not seen God bless any other day of creation up until this point. The only other thing that we have seen God bless is the people who are made in his image up in chapter 1, verse 28. And so this blessing is significant. And when it says that he made this day holy, it means that he set it apart for a special purpose. So clearly in these verses, God is wanting us to see that his rest has significance for our lives and for this world. It's part of God's central design for humanity. And chapter 2, verse 3 is really just the, the start of a pattern and theme that we begin to see throughout the rest of Scripture. Even though sin quickly enters into the story and interrupts our experience of rest, the picture of rest is not forgotten because God won't let it be forgotten. And so if you look closely in your Bibles, you can see clues of it everywhere. And so second of all, we see this pattern of rest in that God begins to promise rest for his people. 
He promises it. So later on in Genesis, when God calls the man Abram to be a great nation, he, he describes a land, a place, and a position of blessing for Abram and his family that is very reminiscent of the Garden of Eden where it all began and the blessings that he had given to Adam and Eve. Later on, when, when Joshua takes over for Moses and leads Israel into the promised land, God says to Joshua, remember the word that, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is, is providing you a place of rest. The goal, the ending place for God's people was to find rest. And God promised that they would Third of all, we see the pattern of rest in that throughout Scripture, the opposite of bondage, the opposite of slavery is described as rest. And so as we continue through Genesis and into the book of Exodus, when we hear Moses talking to Pharaoh about releasing God's people from slavery, Pharaoh says to Moses and to Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work and you make them rest from all of their burdens? And so the opposite of slavery and bondage, both physically and spiritually, is seen as rest. Fourth, we see the pattern of rest in the picture of the tabernacle and in the temple. And so when Moses builds the tabernacle, and, and later on when Solomon builds the temple, which are both places that God's presence was to reside, there are clear signs in the construction of those places of God's heart for rest. And so the construction of the tabernacle was kind of structured around a series of seven creative acts, very similar to the seven days of creation. The construction of the temple took seven years, a reference to the seven days of creation. Folks, if you really want to see God's heart for us to rest, do a biblical study of the number seven. It's everywhere throughout Scripture. But the tabernacle and the temple were clearly designed by God as symbols of the original creation, a reminder of what had been lost, a time when God resided with his people in perfect rest. And so even as you go throughout the tabernacle and throughout the temple, you see signs of it. You see stones that remind us of the sun and the moon and the stars. You see curtains with, with, with images of flowers and trees and fruit sewn into them. Right outside of the holy of holy places where, where God's presence resided most fully, there's a lampstand which is designed as a tree. Folks, when God instructed his people to design the tabernacle and the temple in those ways, he was not just trying to make it a pretty place. It wasn't just, he's not just a good interior designer. No, all of this garden imagery is a reminder to everyone who saw the tabernacle and the temple that where God's presence resides there is rest for his people. It was designed to remind them of the Garden of Eden and the rest that had been lost because of sin and the hope that that rest would someday return. And then both the tabernacle and the temple are seen as places where God's presence finds rest. In Psalm 132, it says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. God wants rest for his people. Fifth, very quickly, the pattern of rest is seen in that rest is an act of obedience and even an act of confession towards God. And so once God establishes the law through Moses, the, the sign of that covenant that he made with Israel was for them to faithfully keep the Sabbath day, to rest once a week, to, to not work, 
to not labor, to not toil. They, they were to pattern their entire lives after the God who rests. Resting became a sign of their, their solidarity with, with Yahweh. We see it in the historical books. We see it in the prophetic books. We see it in the New Testament. Covenant Fellowship, the pattern of rest is a constant theme from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Listen to this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He says, The seventh day stands apart in solitary grandeur as the crown to the six days of creation. This indicates not only immense literary craft, but deep theological significance. From the beginning of creation, the seventh day was central, not only to creation, but to the ultimate destiny of God's people. God wants us to rest. He's, he's promised it. He's given us reminders of that rest, and he is working to bring it about in our lives. Which brings us to our third point this morning. Point number three, the person of rest. Do you all know who, who Sean Spencer is? Don't worry, I'm not saying that Sean is the person of rest. But do you know who he is? Good old Sean and Gus from the TV show Psych. Maybe you remember the episode in Psych where Gus finds Sean stuck on an elliptical machine working out really, really hard. And I say stuck on the machine because there was a note on the machine saying that if, if Sean allowed his heart rate to go below 150 beats per minute, he would blow up. There was a bomb under the elliptical. And so Sean is there sprinting as hard as he possibly can. Sweat is just pouring out of him. He's unable to rest, unable to stop because he's afraid that he's going to blow up. Only to find out that Juliet had put that note there to motivate him in his workout, and there was no bomb in the first place. But folks, I feel like that is how we can be as Christians at times. We have this view of God towards us that if, if we don't sprint in every area of life, if we don't almost burn ourselves out in our Christian living, that God is going to, to blow us up. And the result of that can be that the church is filled with people who are just always tired. They're always discouraged. They're always condemned. They're always on the verge of, of burning out and giving up. But friends, what we are seeing here today is that that is not God's heart for us. That's not God's heart for us in the Old Testament like we just saw. And that is certainly not God's heart for us in the New Testament. And so, yes, perfect rest has been lost because of sin. Yes, part of God's curse against our sin is that we would labor and toil in this world in a seemingly endless way. You know, even as the Old Testament comes to a close, rest seems to be far from the experience of God's people. At the end of the Old Testament, Jerusalem and the temple are, are far cry from what they once had been. The people of God are not in a good place. Sin seems to have ruined everything. But it's not the end of the story. Then we turn the page. We go from Old to New Testament and we learn that the story is not over. Listen, Jesus enters into the story. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the one who was there at creation and in Genesis chapter 2 sat down on his throne and rested on that seventh day, this Jesus now stands up again. He gets up because he has a new work of creation to do in this world, a work of redemption for his people. He stands up and he enters into the world that he had made. 
And church, what's his goal as he enters this world? What is his mission here on earth? His goal is to restore his reign of rest in our hearts and in our lives and for this world. His goal is to end toil and pointless labor. His mission is to become our resting place. Indeed, that's exactly what Jesus says of himself, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say it with me, church, rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, say it, rest for your souls. This is Jesus. This is why he came for us. He came to give you rest. And how did he give you rest? Jesus gives you rest by working on your behalf, by living the obedient life that Adam and Eve and and you and I simply could not live. He gives us rest by being perfectly righteous in his living and then by dying in our place. Listen, as hard as you and I might try, we cannot find perfect rest as long as sin is on our record. Sin breaks God's rule of rest in our life. It, it breaks relationship and it steals rest in him. But, but Jesus took the penalty of our sin for us. Jesus was, was crushed under the weight of God's wrath against our sin. He hung bloody on that cross till there was no more air in his lungs to breathe. He died. Why? To give us rest. And guess what, church? Mission accomplished. God's word says that he didn't remain dead. He he rose from the dead. The curse of sin could not keep him in that grave. He he rose out of that grave. And scripture says that he is now the, the first fruits of the new creation. And do you know what Hebrews chapter 10 says? Hebrews chapter 10 says that he ascended back to the Father and that he sat down at the right hand of the Father again. Just as he's done in Genesis chapter 2, he sat down. He rested from his work. Why? Because the work of redemption was complete. Mission accomplished. Church, God wants you to rest, and so he sent his only begotten Son so that whoever comes to him, whoever is weary, this morning, whoever is tired today, whoever is lost and, and without hope, whoever is discouraged, whoever feels like they, they are on the elliptical machine of life and, and that they're about to kill over and die, they can come and find peace and hope. They can find rest. The leper on the side of the road was, was begging for money day after day, year after year. Jesus speaks to him heals him of his disease, and gives him rest. The woman with the flow of blood, burdened by physical sickness and and pain for many years, spent years going to doctors trying to find out what was wrong with her body. Jesus speaks and makes her well and gives her rest from her troubles. The demoniac, tormented by his own sin and by evil spirits, healed and then rested peacefully before Christ. Peter, so caught up in his pride and and self-righteousness and self-sufficiency, likely just tormented by his own brain at times, Jesus loves him and gives him rest. 
Listen, when we see the, the pattern of rest throughout our Bibles, we should not go first to the practical expressions of rest. We should not first go and ask, do I have a day off in my life? That's important. We're going to get there, but that's not the first place that we go. No, when we see the picture of rest, we should ask, is there rest for my soul? Am I resting in Jesus? Am I trusting him with my worries and my anxieties? Am I laying my burdens down and letting him carry them for me? Or am I always working, always caring, always burdened by what is going on around me? Friend, if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, and if you are tired and worn down, he wants to give you rest. He wants to be a place of comfort. And this is what Christianity is all about, resting in Jesus. Christians find peace in Christ. And if you are a Christian here this morning, listen, do not forget where to find your rest. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus keeps us out of hell through salvation, but then the rest of your life is up to you to figure out. No, those who come to Jesus find rest for all of life. Do we labor? Yes, we continue to labor. But the theme of our lives, the pattern of our souls, the theme of our churches is to find our rest in Jesus, to rest in him every day until we fully rest in him for eternity. And that brings us to our fourth and final point, very briefly this morning, point number four, the pursuit of rest, the pursuit. If it is true that we have perfect rest in Jesus, how come we don't feel more rested? How come we're so tired and anxious and worried and discouraged? Well, friends, let me ask you a question. If you could be given very simple, very practical guidelines for your life and for your family that would promise to encourage and strengthen your life and to give you a greater experience of rest, wouldn't you want to know about that? Wouldn't you want to follow him in that? Well, that's exactly what God's word does for us. God's word gives us practical guidance towards physical rest and spiritual rest. God's word, first of all, guides us towards physical rest. And so many people argue about whether the Sabbath is, is necessary in the new covenant or not. Some people would say that like other Old Testament practices, that we don't need to follow God's direction to take a day of rest each and every week because Jesus fulfilled the law and it no longer stands over us. That's really not what we see in Scripture. Sabbath rest may not be the sign of the new covenant like it was for the old, but it still has essential worth for our lives. God gave it even before the fall into sin. The, the call to Sabbath rest is foundational to God's design for us. The value of it remains even in the new covenant. And so covenant fellowship, rest is important. Rest should be thought of even as a, a spiritual discipline in our lives. It's something like scripture reading and prayer and fellowship with the saints we, we should seek to grow in our experience of rest in a regular way. And so I do believe that God's word is leading many today to ask the question, are there healthy patterns of rest in my life? Are we intentionally pursuing rest in him? Are we acknowledging our creatureliness before God and following the healthy pattern of rest that he has set for us to follow? God's word is so clear that we need this, this physical rest. But friends, God's word also guides us towards spiritual rest. And spiritual rest is often dependent on what we do with our physical times of rest. And so where do you turn 
for rest. There's nothing wrong with Netflix. On a good night, Ashley and I can binge watch some serious Netflix. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking a nap. There's nothing wrong with eating good food or scrolling social media for some downtime. All of those things can be incredibly refreshing. But if they are the primary way that we seek to find rest, we will again and again and again find that those things don't deliver the rest that we need. But Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's in him that our souls will find the rest that we need for daily life. Church, if we're going to find true rest for our souls, we need to use our times of rest to come to Jesus more than we currently are. We need to eat the bread of life. We need to drink from the fountain of living water. We need to nourish our souls with the truth of his grace and his goodness. And so how do we do that? Well, at the start of this year, we should prayerfully consider how we can read his word more, to know again and again, day after day, that Jesus is rest for our souls. We should pray more, reminding ourselves through prayer that he is near to us and that he is rest for our weary souls. We should fellowship with others to remind ourselves that Jesus is rest for our souls. We should take a Sabbath from technology, turn off our phones, walk in his beautiful creation to remind ourselves that he is rest for our souls. We remove things from our schedules in order to have more downtime time. We, we go to church. This is one of the reasons why the Sabbath is historically centered around the Lord's day. The, the weekly assembly of God's people is essential to find rest for your weary soul. Did you know that statistics suggest that most Christians today believe that they only need to go to church once, maybe twice a month, and that that is all that their souls need, friends? No. God's word says differently. It says that the weekly rhythm of coming in and worshiping him and fellowshipping with others, sitting under the preached word, singing truth side by side, that is what gives rest to our souls because it gives us more of Jesus. And you say, Joel, how are you going to end a message on rest by talking about all the things that we need to do? Well, friends, Hebrews 4 says that as Christians, we are to strive to work to enter God's rest. That doesn't mean that we need to earn God's favor. That doesn't speak of endless labor. It means that once God has saved our souls, there are ways that we are able to remain in that place of rest until the final day when we experience his perfect rest. And so as you start another year, Covenant Fellowship, may you strive to enter that rest. May we not labor in our own strength, but may we set our eyes on Jesus who has taken our burdens, who has carried our sorrows, and who has offered us perfect rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God of rest. In a world that is so tired, it is a delight to be your people and to know that you call us to find rest, to not labor in endless toil, but to trust you and to rest in you. Lord, with the chaos of this world right now, I just pray over Covenant Fellowship Church that you would, by the power and goodness of your spirit, give them the rest that they need. Help them to find themselves at peace in your son, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.